it means you have to adapt. Whether you're an investor or you're a realtor or a lender or whatever it is, you need to adapt your marketing strategy. And I'm not saying you should take advantage of people by appealing to emotions that are fear. I think it's appealing to logic where you, you hear all the same sayings and you've heard them forever of marry the deal, date the rate. Welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm your host, Dan Habercost, along with Mason McDonald. And we're going to discuss all things land, real estate, and business in general with all kinds of exceptional people. Let's get started. What's up, everybody? My name is Mason McDonald, along with Dan Habercost, and we are your hosts of the Big Picture Blueprint. And today, rather than just kind of talking about certain strategies, we want to give another market update. It's the end of September of 2023. And we're going to give you guys some insights into what we're seeing in our business as well as what the media is talking about related to the real estate market. But before we get into that, Dan, how are you doing today? Great, man. Uh, it's a beautiful day in Colorado. Headed out to California for a month. Uh, so I am enjoying the fall. I agree. It's cool in the mornings. It's cool at night. It's in the 70s. Uh, Dan, you're getting to go spend a month in California because you've created a business that allows you to work from everywhere. And that's kind of weird because I am looking at what the media is saying about the real estate market. And it seems like you should be going bankrupt any day now because uh, the market is all doom and gloom. Yeah. Yeah, man, this is people separate out journalism and, and media as being different from all other businesses and they're not they're incentivized by profits like every other human and human uh, organization and so they create articles that get clicks and make the money not that communicate uh, reality so i we can talk through this but yeah yeah i mean i, I think you hit the nail on the head is that uh, everything is business in the United States, um, and the purpose of any business is to make money, regardless of what the mission is. Yeah, we can get into nuances of nonprofits and stuff like that that have really mission-oriented business models, but whenever you're looking at media, and I'm looking at it, I pulled up four articles here, and the amount of ads that I am seeing on this one part of the screen is like four advertisements, and that's on Yahoo Finance. And so that's the purpose of getting these headlines that are scary. They're terrifying. And I think we can kind of walk through a few of these articles that I'm seeing right now uh, to give kind of the high-level market update from a media standpoint. And the one I'm looking at right now is called This Resilient Part of the Housing Market is Cracking. And that is about new builds, which is a space that you're in right now, Dan. But what have your experiences been with new builds right now from a demand standpoint? What are you seeing from a financing standpoint? And then we can kind of mix that in with what this article is saying. Sure. So I had a couple new builds come to fruition and sell just a few months ago. And then a bit of a pivot working with a new builder or contractor and, and getting some more going that likely won't come to fruition until next year. But this is market specific to some degree. But even here in Colorado, where it's gotten very expensive, uh, I mean, I went on the Parade at Home store with some friends a, a couple of weeks ago, and they're selling, no problem, sixes, sevens, $800,000 houses out here in Colorado. And then a quick search on Zillow, my goodness, if you go look at the ratios in a lot of Florida or North Carolina markets, 
for the last 90 days, substantially more new construction homes are selling than actually came on the market in whatever increment of time you select. It is crazy. So anywhere that I am doing business or watching the market, this is just extremely misleading. There's a need for housing and that hasn't changed. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and this article kind of talks about it. Uh, with, with that title, it sounds like, oh, oh crap, like new builds. No one's going to be buying new builds anymore. And it's a very slight decrease month over month from July to August of 2023. And if you compare it to the past 20 years, uh, we're still very, very high. And it's obvious why there is a little decrease going into fall in general. There always is. Whenever school is starting, parents are less likely to buy a new home. Whenever their kids are in the middle of school, rates are higher. But whenever you look at sales price, the median sales price of a home in the United States is, States is about four hundred twenty-five to 430000 And the markets you're in, in areas in North Carolina and Florida and Southern Colorado, where people are moving constantly, your price point is just below that, which makes it so where you're not dealing with what the real issue is, which is inflation and the affordability crisis, where if you're pricing below what the median sales price throughout the entire country is, you're probably going to be safer no no matter what. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I was looking at Ocala, Florida. I'm working on, well, I need to, this is the, I'm going down there in December, working on putting together the means to start building Ocala because new construction homes are selling in the 200s there. That's crazy. That's like a lot out here. You know, in Colorado Springs. Uh, and so at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter where rates are because it doesn't make a big difference on such a low-priced house. So, um, yeah, I, all this to say, I would, if, you, if you're involved in, in land and new construction, I would stick to these places where a lot of people are moving, where housing is still very affordable and, and the rates aren't as much of an issue. You're absolutely right. And I think... It, it can get concerning whenever you see sales data going down. And once again, I mean, you hit the nail on the head of it's very market specific where I'm looking at this article that says the housing market has hit rock bottom and the sales slump will last a long time. Redfin CEO says, and the problem is if we, we talk about statistics and it's a regression to the mean. And if you look at the past 10 years, there was a huge, huge, huge push for buying homes in 2020 and 2021 whenever mortgages were sub three. And so the people that are moving every two to three years or buying new houses and upgrading, I'm locked in at about two and a quarter to two and a half percent on 30 years fixed. I'm never going to sell the house that I live in. And that's what a lot of people are thinking right now. So I think there could be a greater push right now in general for people to just retain the retain their homes until they can start seeing mortgage rates in a, a more reasonable spot. But what I've, I've been seeing a lot, Dan, and I don't know if you're seeing this too, just looking at properties to buy is rate buy down incentives that builders are offering or that our existing homeowners are doing. Do you, do you know about that strategy and can you speak to that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, absolutely. It's just a way to to help your buyer afford the house that everyone wants. And so uh, lenders allow you to pay a fee up front to buy down the rate. And so a lot of these new builders, especially the big ones that just need to turn their inventory, you know, DR Horton, Richmond, Lennar, uh, they will offer incentives as opposed to uh, price decrease or 
uh, you know, more traditional incentives. It's simply, hey, we'll pay that fee to reduce your rate one or two or sometimes more points. Uh, so that definitely helps people afford the house. And I, I think that it's a funny strategy because at the end of the day, what that strategy is, is, hey, housing prices are still ridiculously high right now because they have not come down despite everything, despite rates going up, housing prices have not really come down. And I'm going to say, even though this house is probably worth 500000 I'm going to put it on the market for $650,000. i am going to give you a $25,000 incentive because you need to sell your home in order to purchase this house. And it's, it's what huge department stores do all the time too. And I, I'm trying to simplify this uh, in, in a way that makes sense to everyone. Go into a Michaels and you will see these ridiculous sales of 75% off, even though say that item costs them 50 cents to make and they're, they have it for sale for $15, but they're giving you 75% off. So it gives you a discount. So there is that emotional component that uh, is actually legitimate within some of these strategies that are going on that, that we see going on. In well, yeah. And, and for the average user, the price isn't what matters. All that matters is that monthly payment, right? So if the price is much higher, but they get them 0% interest, just to illustrate the point, people would buy that all day long if the monthly payment ultimately is lower. Uh, so that's really what they're focusing on for those normal end users. Yeah. Um, so the other point I wanted to make is, is all for all this to say a lot of the people I know who are realtors are struggling a bit because like you said, you're never going to sell your house. I'm never selling any of my houses with low rates. And so there just isn't a lot of transaction volume in the your existing inventory and because people aren't selling. Why would you if you have a 3% rate? And so this is creating problems for those people who are on the transactional side of things. A couple of my title agents in different parts of the country said they're struggling a little bit. Whereas anyone who's creating new inventory is doing great. If you're effectively going and getting off-market deals on houses, getting deals on off-market houses and bringing them to market, or like you and me, you're getting a land, which is ultimately used to create your inventory or creating it yourself. You're doing very well right now. Oh, yeah. And it just, it, it means you have to adapt. Whether you're an investor or you're a realtor or a lender or whatever it is, you need to adapt your marketing strategy. And I'm not saying you should take advantage of people by appealing to emotions that are fear. I think it's appealing to logic where you, you hear all the same sayings and you've heard them forever of, marry the deal, date the rate, interest rates are going to go down eventually. All these are just market conditions that fluctuate and they operate in cycles. Uh, the Dow yesterday had the worst day since March of this year. So there, there's a lot of fear um, in general and you shouldn't operate like that. You should attempt to use logic whenever you're doing business. But Dan, kind of switching gears from the more macro into our own individual businesses, what are you say, seeing from a sales side and an acquisition side within your land business? We're selling everything very quickly. Stuff that was sitting is selling, new stuff is selling, everything's selling. And it is hard to get good deals right now. It's still doable. We're still getting them. Um, and there's a lot of Florida and North Carolina markets that I'm seeing a deja vu. Uh, you guys have heard me tell this story before on the podcast, but 2020, end of the year, I watched the land prices in Pueblo West triple. 
and I'm not exaggerating at all. It was late in the year, November-ish, and by the beginning of the next year, they went from selling at 10 to 15 to selling at 30 to 35. It was crazy. And not quite as dramatic, but I'm watching this happen in some of the markets I'm in, in Florida and North Carolina, where you know there's one in particular I'm thinking of that that sort of land would sell 30-ish to up to 40 if it was oversized, if it was really nice. I looked a couple days ago, there is not one lot under 50. Not one. And a lot of the comps are still in the 40s, but supply and demand. And so those prices are just pushing up and up and up. And so anyways, that presents an opportunity that I'm certainly taking advantage of. Oh, yeah. And I'm seeing the same thing where I think there's certain markets that I got into whenever I first started in the land business that have stayed pretty consistent of the rural recreational. It's a long sales cycle, but going into suburbia, the infill lots that have all the that that are build ready, I'm seeing a massive amount of interest that is I mean, we're we're selling much, much more where that that's the the fun thing about this business is Sometimes you'll purchase land and it'll take a, a long time to sell. And sometimes you'll purchase land and it won't take any time to sell. And right now I'm seeing the exact same thing uh, in Colorado and Arizona is a huge pickup in sales. Acquisitions are a little bit slower. And I, I think you kind of alluded to that a little bit of it's a little bit harder to find deals right now because whenever there is so much media attention on the housing market right now, uh, it lends people the opportunity to get online and kind of research what they think their property is worth. So I think acquisitions have slowed a little bit, but there's still so many value add opportunities and you have to pivot your business model to say, okay, there's a strain on invent- inventory in these markets. So how can I value add? Uh, we had an episode recently come out with our friend Trevor uh, that does subdivisions and the opportunity to do a subdivision in an inventory constrained market is i think something that i'm pretty bullish on right now because you're creating you're creating the supply where there is uh too much demand yeah no you you hit the nail on the head and the fact that arizona and colorado are picking up too where it's already expensive i mean you're down in surprise uh or the phoenix metro surprise arizona where it is very expensive and even there it's seeing the same thing so it's not just entry-level housing. That's where I like to stick because that feels comfortable to me, but it's not to say that that's the only thing you, you, you can do. Yeah. And I think to kind of, to kind of get into some of the specifics too of where, and, and, and this is pivoting towards the people that are like us, of uh, the people in the land acquisition and specifically the development space, because what I hear constantly from my realtors for the land that I'm just selling is, uh, that price might be a little bit high because construction rates are so high. But for the small-time builder, Dan, have you seen a dramatic increase in your cost of capital for financing of actual construction or development? From local banks, yes. From hard money lenders, no. It's crazy. I have to pull this up. I got our hard money lender down to 1.5 points, and I mean, I want to say like 10 or no, 11%. Maybe eleven and a half, but I know it was down to one point five points. And and that's funny because if and if we were to pull up what a construction loan would cost from a traditional bank, I don't think it would be much more than the hard money lender. Because if the hard money lender is able to compete with 
institutional banks and institutional financing, they're going to be getting tons and tons and tons of deals of their money is still going to be coming in. So I think that the person that is looking to get into building needs to approach potentially lenders that maybe historically have a bad, bad connotation or a bad image, because if you're getting hard money at, let's say two and a half or three points and 13 or 14% interest with how much constraint there is on inventory and the cost of building materials. And, and Dan, you, you can speak to the cost of building materials um, more than I can. Cost of building materials is kind of back down to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, wood, depending on- Yeah, wood definitely has. Concrete's still up. Windows are up. A lot of things are up. But then on the flip side of that, labor has become- I mean, again, very localized, and I'm, I'm speaking more to Colorado and the markets I'm in in Colorado. If you go to Mountain Town, it's a different story. But where I'm at in Colorado, labor is calmed way down because suddenly they're not busy. You know, I've got, I just bought that duplex and I have my old contractor doing some work there. It's amazing how eager and cheap he suddenly is. So he doesn't have work. So uh, some things have come back down, some things not so much. There you go. But it's all, it, it all evens out to, going back into the pre-pandemic level pricing, because you think about what happened in 2020 or 2021, go to a Home Depot parking lot on any day of the week while everyone's working from home and it's freaking packed because people have gotten all of these government checks from stimulus packages and everyone is at home all the time. And so once again, supply and demand, there's supply chain issues with products coming in from other countries and labor, people could go kind of do whatever they wanted and they didn't need to work quite as much. So I think that presents a unique opportunity from the person that can approach building at a different level where if you can acquire your land at a discount, you can build at pre-pandemic pricing. And if your hard money costs the same it did three years ago and prices are still at the 2020, 2021 levels, even though mortgage rates are higher, it just presents a unique opportunity in the market to come in and add inventory where inventory is really constrained. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't really need to add to that. I think that's a great point. Uh, there's a couple of comments I wanted to make to things you said. You said acquisitions are harder for land, which I absolutely agree with. But I was, I was looking back on some of my old notes and this is my sixth, actual sixth year doing direct-to-seller marketing for land. And in 2018, 2019, it was pretty light. It's nothing like I'm doing now, but I was still doing it. So sixth year. And every fall, I've seen a slowdown right about now. And then every year, I had a really strong pickup as we got late into Thanksgiving and Christmas. So this is normal. And what's the key to getting through the hump is keeping your marketing going and making sure you don't stop. So I, I really wanted to say that because it's nice the longer you do this, the more you have point, a point of reference from prior years. And I can look back and say, yeah, this is pretty well. Oh, yeah. Well, and think about the market conditions of what's happening right now. Of 2023 is the first year in over three years now that travel restrictions are pretty minimal, if any, depending on out-of-country travel. But within the United States... You can go on a plane. You're not wearing a mask anymore. Mask restrictions just lifted not too long ago, whenever you look at the grand scheme of things. So coming in, and, and the point I, I'm, I'm making there is holiday travel is going to pick up. The price of everything is ridiculously expensive. And so for the people that 
maybe have been holding on to pieces of land or uh, rental properties that they've owned for a long time, acquisitions in the holiday season this year, I'd be willing to gamble that, shoot, man, I think we're going to be able to have a huge holiday season push for acquisitions because with all the prices of everything and this being the first year to be able to travel and go see your family legitimately, um, there's another huge opportunity in the market. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, big, big picture. This is the time to double down on everything, in my opinion. Uh, of course, you know, be conservative, keep, keep liquidity around in a reserve fund, but I'm buying more rentals. I'm working on building quite a few uh, properties and, and buying and selling a lot of land. Cause again, <laughs> we, we complicate everything. We all do this just like, well, anyways, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of, of uh, what's been done to our currency, although I want to. Uh, but going to going to this whole conversation about what's the market doing, supply and demand. That's it. That's the whole conversation. What is the supply like? Is there still de- or Where is there demand? Is there still demand? And that answers the question so simply. And I mean, you know, there's always the chance of a black swan. But barring that, barring World War III, I don't see any way that supply is going to just magically spike. And so if you can go create supply, rentals, new construction, land for people to put new construction on, you can make money. Well, and to just hammer the point home, this year from a bonus depreciation standpoint that came from Trump's tax code, this year you can front end 80% of what you could bonus depreciate. Um, look into cost segregation studies and bonus depreciation uh, so you don't have to take advice from myself or Dan, who are not accountants or attorneys or engineers. But even though rates are higher, you have that opportunity to offset so much of that potential rental income or income from other businesses that you own. So it all it all works out. It, it's the similar analogy to labor has gone down, even though concrete and windows has gone up and, and wood has come down. So it all kind of evens out. So even though the market looks like this roller coaster with all the various incentives that are out there from a depreciation standpoint to a labor incentive standpoint and everything in between, there's once again, an amazing opportunity to make a ton of money as long as you are just being consistent and kind of knowing everything that there is to know, um, that is relevant to your business that is not emotionally driven uh, from the media. Yeah, uh, no, a- absolutely. And, and to your point about us not being accountants, well, I had a quote from an accountant on cost segregation done just yesterday. And so I'll tell you, it's well worth doing if you're a real estate professional and you can offset it against all your other income. So you know, I just closed on a duplex and I'm ideally going to buy one or two more before the end of the year. And you said something earlier about you know, marry the property, date the rate or something like that. And that's such a good point because talking to people who are newer or don't own a lot of real estate or are a little more short-sighted because they're, they don't have a lot of money. The question is always, Oh, what's it going to cash flow right now? Like, I don't know. I don't care. $500 a month, 600 doesn't mean anything, anything. This is going to save me this one alone, 35 to 40 grand net on my taxes. Uh, it is only 80%, unfortunately, because I bought it this year, so I overestimate a little bit. But that's still a huge chunk of cash, and it's a nice building in a great area. Pretty, It's younger than me, uh, and I can put 
two nice tenants in there and not think about it at all. This is the sort of real estate that is much, much, much closer to being passive if you set it up properly. And so I'm not thinking about what it's going to do tomorrow. I'm thinking about the tax savings this year, but I'm thinking about in the next three to five years when I'm able to ideally refinance this into a, a much lower rate, although it's already at six because the seller finance, um, this thing's going to cash flow tremendously down the road. And what it's going to do for me over the next 10 or 20 years is what matters, not tomorrow. And so I know this is hard when you're new and you don't have a lot of money yet. You're trying to figure out how to get out of your job tomorrow. And so you think very short-sightedly, but if you can work to think more about what decisions is five years in the future of me going to be happy I made, that will definitely, definitely be far more impactful. You'll make much better decisions. And you found this deal. This was on the market, right? Yep. This was on the market. You bought it at what? for each unit was less than the median home sales price was you got an owner finance deal like yeah you're connected in the real estate community but it's just because you're paying attention making offers in areas that you know well and that you're specific to you weren't concerned about trying to force something to be a deal you were more interested in okay this is my parameter for what i'm looking for because if you look at areas in the country where you're like I finally saved up enough money. I made a ton of money through the pandemic. I'm ready to buy my first rental property. Don't go to the middle of nowhere in the Midwest and buy a $109,000 home that was built in 1921 that's getting $1,200 a month in cash flow. Because or, I think we've said it before, a roof is a roof is a roof yeah. is a roof where uh, the $10,000 roof on a $400,000 home is the same roof on the $120,000 home. So you have to be very logical about how you want to make decisions with finding deals. But if you're looking at areas that are growing, if you can find something at or below the median price point uh, that has decent equity in it from the quality of craftsmanship or the age of the home, you're going to be able to make a deal that's going to offset your income through all the tax incentives. And even if it's not a perfectly cash flowing unit right now, down the road, it definitely will be, um, or the offset from the loss of depreciation will make it worth it. We're not advocating for you to go pay for something that you can't afford, but they're out there. Yeah. And, and so you made it several good points there, especially about the ratios, you know, the cost of the roof or the furnace relative to the value of the property. I don't want to buy cheap real estate. In fact, if I could go buy a million dollar property right now, that would just break even, all in, you know, expenses as far as repairs and such. I would love that. That's a giant savings account someone else is paying for for me, and it's a massive write-off. But I, I, I want to expand on this a little bit because this is so. This drives me nuts because it's such bad advice. What a lot of people uh, are told as far as what to look for in real estate. What I just bought is not going to lose money, but it's going to take time to get it to the point where it's cash flowing substantially every month. But to your point about median house price, it's two hundred. It's two eighteen hundred square foot units, three bed, two bath, two car garage each side, one three bed, two car, two car, two bath, uh, two car garage house will cost you this vintage about three fifty. So to buy two of those would be seven hundred. I got this for four sixty. Each unit will rent a little bit less because it's uh, a duplex and not a single family house, but it's surrounded by single family, so not much less. And it's these qualitative measures that you learn 
over the course of time owning rental properties that are so important that a lot of people don't get. Uh, they had just signed the existing tenants way below market, so I'm stuck there for a year, and that's fine. But again, forgetting about cash flow for a second, uh, just two very new nice units like that, you can put tenants in where you're never going to have to deal with that. If you screen them right, you know the tenants on the one side have been there since 2016, and their unit is immaculate. They have taken such good care of it. And, and so these are those hard to quantify metrics that are so important and often overlooked. This can actually be a passive investment. I showed my older friend the building who's been doing this for almost 50 years now. And he immediately goes, oh, this is a gem. Can I invest with it on you? If you need money, let me know. We'll partner on it. Whereas the new people that don't really know, they're like, oh, it only cash flows a little bit every month. It doesn't cash flow, you know, another $300 or $400. Oh, that's not exciting. And they, they don't get it. And so I wish I could put this a little more succinctly, but I'll, I'll drop the, uh, I'll stop renting there. No, and you've you've got long-term tenants that one of us has been there for at least seven years. It's below market price, so you can get instant. If your goal was to sell it in two or three or four years, you go in, you update it a little bit, and you increase rents, and then you could sell it to a portfolio investor quickly and make a hundred or two hundred grand. But you could also down the road, whenever it's time and there is tenant turnover, to get closer to that higher market rent, you could go in and modernize it a little bit. Um, you could do, you, there, there's so many strategies with this, where if you buy in a good area at a good price, uh, regardless of rate, regardless of perfection of cash flow and everything like that, it's, it's going to work out. And I think the, the problem is there's so much content out there that advocates for, you need to do a burr project and you have to meet the 1% rule and you have to do all this other stuff. And whenever you're trying to get into rental properties, uh, especially with a, there being an affordability crisis, what you need to look at is the long-term performance of what an asset is going to be for the next 10 or 20 years and recognize, okay, over the last 10 or 20 years, mortgage rates have done this. So there's probably going to be some cycling that happens and it's going to be a great long-term investment. Rental properties are never going to get you rich. Uh, it's It just takes a really, really long time. And it's more about decreasing your tax exposure and increasing your net worth and your borrowing ability and preserving something for the long term rather than man that extra $300 a month that I'm getting from cash flow is going to be able to pay for the car payment on my new Mercedes and uh, some of the stuff from Rich Dad Poor Dad which I mean I love that book Dan loves that book of it's it, it just doesn't quite work like that in, in reality or at least in 2023 so uh a good deal is a good deal, regardless of. Don't don't get caught up in semantics of fifty dollars um, or a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars on a potential two hundred fifty thousand dollar profit. Yes, that will take ten years to get. Yes, yeah, so and I think you meant rental properties won't make you rich overnight. They will over the course of decades. Yep, yep, yeah, and it's rich versus wealthy and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I, I think we kind of hit on our, our own businesses um, to summarize a little bit. Uh, acquisitions is a little slower. Um, sales are up. Uh, there's a lot of value add opportunity whenever you can increase inventory uh, in high demand markets with low supply. Uh, the doom and gloom will always be in the media. Um, so just pay attention to the actual numbers as versus the headline. So dive into the article, see the data and look at what opportunities are available. But 
Dan, do you have anything else to add before we wrap things yeah, up? Yeah, the only other thing I haven't hit on in my specific business is just rents. Uh, and so, you know, one of my units turned in Parma, Ohio. And so just talking to my property manager there about rents, rents in Cleveland, because that's a suburb of Cleveland, have continued to go up like crazy. There's massive demand for rentals there. Um, rents here in Colorado really haven't come down at all. And so they and they nearly doubled in a lot of areas uh, over the last few years. So uh, I just wanted to hit on that because I hadn't really spoken to rents. Uh, and those are strong, too. So everything is looking pretty good. Find a way to create inventory. There we go. And this is Mason McDonald and Dan Haberkost for the Big Picture Blueprint. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. And that's it for today's episode of the Big Picture Blueprint. If you found it helpful, please share it with your friends or anyone you think that it could benefit. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. And we'll see you in the next episode.